Welcome back to Troubleshooting Agile. Hi there, Jeffrey. Hi, Squirrel. So we're doing one of our favorite things, or at least it's my favorite, one of my favorite things, which is a listener question. What did we get from a listener? <laughs> we have a, a question from a listener, and uh, actually this comes from the Agile Conversation Slack. And of course, we'll put a link to if anyone interested in joining that in the show notes. And this is from uh, Mark, and he asked a very interesting question there, uh, which is uh, a, a question that he got based on a, a book called The Coaching Habit, uh, but he, he customized it for Agile Conversations. And he said, well, when you said yes to the transformation work of conversations, and it was transforming your conversations, and therefore to transform the culture, what did you find you had to begin to say no to? And I thought this was a great question because uh, it, it, it shows that every time we're making a change, uh, that there's probably something useful that we're giving up. And uh, you, you immediately had some thoughts come to mind, Squirrel, which I thought was a, made yeah. a great podcast topic. Well, I, I, I thought of death of the ego. So uh, <laughs> this is a concept from Dr. David Burns, and we'll uh, put, put a link to him as well. Um, he has a, a process. He, he's a psychiatrist. I mean, he helps people with depression and anxiety and things like that. But a lot of the ideas that he has are also just as relevant to um, curing an organization, helping an organization function better and, and be more agile. And one of his that I found fascinating, and I, I try to do it, Jeffrey, you're better at it than I am. And when we jointly coach, I, you always remember it sooner than I do, is this thing called paradoxical agenda setting. And what he does is he says, you know, actually being depressed is really helpful to you. It says some really good things about you that you're depressed. You know, if you weren't depressed about <laughs> these sad things that happened in your life, you would be giving up on some really important um, opportunities to, to feel an important part of life, you know, you're depressed because a person in your life died or some other terrible tragedy occurred and, and you'd be kind of turning your back on that. Don't, don't you think maybe you don't need therapy? Um, so he's kind of talking himself <laughs> out, of, uh, out of a job by, by doing this. And that's why it's called paradoxical. But it, it exactly leads the person to reflect on just this question. If I were to become less depressed, I would give up something and something of value. And um, I, I think it's, and often he talks about the, the death of the ego that you're, you would be, um, uh, your, your ego and your, your self um, uh, sort of promotion, your self uh, identity would change as a result of um, making this very substantial change in your life. I, I think an agile transformation or, or adopting DevOps or something like that would be less um, fundamental, but there's the same kind of... Um, uh, loss that that I often see and and resistance in folks that I'm coaching to to actually adopting it. Do, do you see the same thing, Jeffrey, or do you see it differently? Oh, I, I, yeah, absolutely. And I and I think even um, in the in the thread in Slack, uh, someone we know, Chris Clearfield, um, linked to to him his podcast in our show notes as well. Uh, he, we we had him as a guest uh, a, a while ago, for, uh, talking about his book Meltdown. He he came back with something I felt which is very much like the death of the ego. He he said that what, his answer was what you what you have to say no to is a commitment to being right, <laughs> which I I think is is spot on here. But I think the the other thing that that came to mind is that is that it's in addition to the idea of being right, there's a, a lot of other behaviors. And this past week. I was talking to people about how to improve their conversations and also about what it means to have productive collaboration, you know, really true collaboration. And I used a model that we've used many times before from the uncanny value valley of a functional organization. And uh, this article from 2013 in Stratechery uh, has a very nice quadrant 
a, a diagram, one of those things where you know the 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 two two dimensions, and of course you want to be in the top right, and the, the two dimensions were something like ability and freedom to disagree, or willingness and freedom to disagree, uh, is, is one element, and the other one is. Uh, about uh, mutual trust and respect, and that you you want to have both to have true collaboration. And, and what that highlights is that in true collaboration requires the fact that you will raise your disagreements. That that ability to disagree, the fact that you actually do that, is key. Uh, and and what you and I most often encounter, and I was sharing that this week, is that usually when we we come across organizations or teams that are having trouble, it's not that they have open conflict and unproductive conflict between people, but rather that there's a superficial harmony when we end up with groupthink, where people don't want to actually have the conflict. And and I think it's that place then where, where, you know, if you think about it, this is a this is a virtue, right? The people not wanting to have conflict with their team. <laughs> and so I think that's why it's a natural uh, um, place that people end up without the productive conflict that is the characteristic of good teamwork and instead the uh, the group think. And I think that's the place where this sort of paradoxical agenda setting is uh, particularly useful to um, to discuss because the this is used to to overcome resistance people might have because you acknowledge that what would what would keep them in their current behavior is not a a, a weakness or a vice but a, rather a virtue. Indeed. And, and groupthink has some real value to it. I mean, it, it's really comforting to have groupthink. You, 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 uh, you have low conflict, so you don't have to have anybody pounding on the table. You uh, have a common purpose, and everybody's agreed on that purpose, and you're working toward that purpose. From the outside, groupthink looks pretty good. That, that's right. You know what? Uh, certainly people say, well, we don't want to spend a lot of time in meetings. We don't want to spend a lot of, you know, it, shouldn't we just get to work? Uh, and and groupthink uh, was something that people will adopt to allow them to do that, you know, rather than sort of hashing out their differences. Like, let's just not uh, let's not raise them, and let's just get on and and you know do what people are telling us to do. And, and there are situations where that makes a heck of a lot of sense. So um, my my classic example that we often uh, talk about, Jeffrey, is uh, uh, if you and I are in the same room someplace and we're talking to an audience, I'll say, you know, Jeffrey, if if a fire alarm goes off. We're, we're probably not going to want to discuss how we feel about fire and whether fire is warm or frightening and, you know, what's our history with fire. We'll probably want to say, like, where, where's the exit? <laughs> Can somebody show us how to, <laughs> how to get out from the fire? The, that's a place where some groupthink would be really effective, especially if you're following a person who knows the, the uh, evacuation plan. So that's an extreme example. But there are certainly cases where the investment is probably not worth it. It's it's probably just not worth it to to have the the full conflict and to to come up with the very best decision with all the information with uh, the relationship building that comes with it all the things that we say are good uh, the, those could in some circumstances be outweighed by um, uh, by avoiding the conflict and that's why we titled this episode in, uh, in praise of avoiding conflict because th- there are cases where it's useful. And um, it's not bad to, to acknowledge that, especially when you're talking with someone about doing something different, because underlying a lot of their resistance and the, the things that they're, they're not wanting to give up often is, perhaps it's un, un, unarticulated, but a wish to, uh, to have some of those benefits. Hey, I'd have to be in a lot of meetings. I'd have to be vulnerable. I'd have to explain why I'm afraid and the things I don't know. And like, that would be uncomfortable and, and it's not worth it to me. And if that's the case, it's probably better not to do it. 
<laughs> and I think, well, I think there's, there's also the, cause it's not just about whether it would be effective, but it's, it's rather, even if these behaviors are, are, are ineffective and if you think, well, the group, the group think isn't serving us well, the fact that people are participating, it probably reflects well on them. They, they're often doing it for reasons that are uh, a positive. So even if it's, if it's like, well, I'm okay being embarrassed, but I don't want to embarrass other people. I don't want to, you know, I know the other, if I have to speak up and I think this person's wrong, they would be embarrassed in this group. And and I don't want to make people uncomfortable. So instead, I'm, I'm going to let it pass. And and again, that, that idea of caring about how other, other people's feelings, is that, a, is that a good thing or a bad thing? It sounds like a, a virtue to me, not, not, a, not a vice. Uh, um, I think there's many elements like that behind people's motivations. I, I wonder if we can come up with some more here. <laughs> Well, I have I have another one that that occurs to me, uh, and this is a very common pattern. But I have a particular client who will remain extremely nameless um, uh, in this case. That the the person uh, who's really driving some of the changes that I've been helping happen um, re really has a very clear vision about what the what the the structure should be and what the team should do and so on, and and really hangs on to that very tightly. And um, one of the things I've been gently encouraging, but I think I probably would have done better to do some paradoxical agenda setting, is um, let's bring the team in more on this. Let's be more creative. Let's encourage more um, uh, more direction from them. Um, I, I think that uh, what I haven't been explicit about, I've really only realized it as we're chatting about it, is that, uh, that, that there's something really positive about how this person's approaching the situation. It, he, he sees that there's um, a very clear direction to go. Uh, he, he sees that if we make these changes to the product, we'll get these results. And uh, he, he's not showing an interest in um, bringing the, the team more into it. He, he kind of wants them to be agile in his direction. And um, <laughs> while that, we can kind of laugh at that. And I imagine some of our listeners are saying, oh, yeah, well, there goes an idiot there. You know, that's, um, that's someone that uh, Squirrel and Jeffrey are going to bash. Um, I, I think he's, he's got some value there that is, is worth reflecting on. And um, uh, it, giving up some of that control and that direction in favor of people who are much less experienced than he is in directing the organization has some significant risk for him and is worth acknowledging. And he may be right. Uh, so that some of the changes I've been proposing may, may or may not actually be, be successful for him. And uh, that, that's a case where um, uh, avoiding the conflict uh, that would come from him having to uh, give up some of his ideas, give up some of his ego about where the product should go and what his organization should do uh, may or may not have worth for him. And, and I don't think I'd reflected on that before we started talking. <laughs> the other thing that comes to mind is, is um, you know, not not long ago, uh, the podcast Troubleshooting Agile was was um, uh, pinged on Twitter by uh, someone we both know named uh, Graham, and and he talked about uh, the, a phrase which I think is is lovely, which was um, collaboration theater. Uh, um, and one thing that this person is doing that your your client is doing is they're avoiding collaboration theater. Because I think that a lot of a lot of um, people, a lot of leaders do often have a vision, but also feel they should have people involved, and so they set up a scenario where they put forward their decision as though it's open for debate, when in fact it's re they're really not. <laughs> mm -hmm. And that, and that that's an example of um, you know a collaboration theater. A, a Graham talked about uh, you know an example was like presenting a proposal, quote unquote, that's already been selected, um, and, and then. 
uh, re requesting input solely to avoid hurting feelings and allowing others time to arrive at the correct decision. So we could say your uh, client here is avoiding collaboration theater. She, he's showing enough respect for people to not have that pretense of collaboration when in fact he's already decided. And again, is that is is that kind of uh, uh, straightforwardness? Is that a, a virtue or 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 not? It seems to me like like it is. It certainly is. Uh, he has a virtuous purpose. Whether it's the 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 best outcome for his organization or the best approach for him, we we need to say a lot more about uh, that organization and investigate it more. But coming back to Mark's question, what what would he have to give up? Well, he would have to give up if he were really to adopt some of the things that I'm proposing to him. He would have to give up that um, direction. He would um, ideally not engage in collaboration theater, but real collaboration. And that may not be something that he wants to do. And I think being explicit about that is helpful through this kind of paradoxical agenda setting. It lets you then say, what am I saying no to? How am I saying no to it? Is it something I actually want to say no to? And reflecting on that clearly, I think, is a, a good first step for um, getting real commitment to making the change because you're saying explicitly, I am going to give up my ego. I am going to give up the direction I'm working toward. Uh, I, I am going to um, uh, drop this uh, direction that I'm taking. Or, no, actually, that's not for me. And that it'd be better to find that out at the beginning <laughs> before we all invest a lot in, you know, uh, I don't know, training in, in safe or um, uh, scrum, a whole lot of scrum coaches or something. Yeah, and I think that's a, that's a good point, and, and that's the idea of the paradoxical uh, paradoxical agenda setting. Is it because it may seem strange that someone would come to a therapist who's you know and for depression and have the the therapist say, well, you know, wait, maybe maybe you don't want to do this. I think to to, to follow it through, the idea is that you reflect on that. There's some elements of the behavior that uh, do reflect positive things about you, and then you kind of put it to the person, you know, would you really want to give up? Uh, make this, this change given what's at stake. And and what will happen is the person can both acknowledge the truth of what you're saying. So say, yes, I, I do like harmony in the group in the group think, or yes, I do have a clear direction. And at the same time, there's something else I'm going to value more. And so this is the idea of paradoxical agenda setting. It's a way of making the trade-offs explicit uh, of acknowledging uh, both the, the these virtues and then also saying at the same time, uh, I don't feel, for example, that I'm getting full commitment from the group and I would value their commitment more than getting my way. Uh, uh, or uh, yes, uh, I, I, I prefer to not make people embarrassed. However, I, I, I'm going to instead uh, risk embarrassment for myself and others in these meetings in service of a better group decision that I'm, I'm willing to to. You know that therefore have these conversations, and that idea of are of being clear about what the trade offs are, and as you said, having someone buy into it explicitly, is a is a very valuable element. And then they'll be much more committed uh, because they've they've made this explicit uh, idea. We're we're in contrast, where if if we're in a situation where we're telling people, advocating, oh, you should, you know, have you should have these open conversations with people. You should be open to mutual learning and not trying to control direction. Without acknowledging what they're giving up, uh, they're going to be uh, have internal resistance, holding on to those those elements about their identity or what they're seeking that they that they value. 
Okay. So, shocking news, 171 episodes into Troubleshooting Agile, we discover that maybe avoiding conflict isn't isn't in every circumstance for every person the right thing to do. So, uh, uh, don't, don't, don't uh, necessarily misquote us, but uh, uh, listeners might be shocked to hear us say that uh, exploring that, understanding what the trade-off is, and, and making a, a eyes-wide-open choice about it could be useful. Uh, and I hope that's helpful to our listener, Mark, uh, who, who asked us this great question over on Slack. Uh, of course, you can find us and discuss more with uh, with us, just like Mark did, uh, by going to the the Slack instance. If you want, uh, that uh, time limited invitation will be in the uh, in the show notes, so you can find it there or get in touch with us. And you would do that at conversationaltransformation.com. Also, the same place, uh, agileconversations.com, also gets you to the same place. And there, you can find videos and uh, uh, opportunity to join mailing list and the previous 170 episodes of Troubleshooting Agile. So. Lots of opportunities to get in touch with us and to uh, engage more. Super. And we'll have more next week. Thanks, Jeffrey. Thanks, Carl.